You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Welcome into another edition of the Hangtime Podcast. Seku Smith here in Atlanta. John Schumann is in New Jersey, and John Hartzell's behind the glass, as always. Why waste any time? Let's just get right into it. Our guest this week is here strategically placed, of course, after the NBA trade deadline lived up to every bit of its hype last week. Drama everywhere, uh, highlighted by all-in moves by the Philadelphia 76ers, Toronto Raptors, and Milwaukee Bucks at the top of the East. And, of course, no movement whatsoever on the Anthony Davis situation in New Orleans. David Griffin, an NBA TV analyst, former general manager of the Cleveland Cavaliers, friend of the show and one of my favorite dudes. Uh, Griff, how you doing, man? I know your schedule is chock full, so we appreciate you taking a few minutes. Yeah, no problem at all. Really glad to do it, guys. And it was an amazing deadline. <laughs> Just incredible. Yeah. One, of the, one of the most uh, eventful I could remember. Yeah, the Sixers obviously went out and added Tobias Harris Griff to tr- I mean, they're going for it, obviously. That front office staff clearly put their heads together and said, let's get this thing done. Let's get rid of Markel Fultz on top of it. Let's add Tobias, you know, and some other hopefully quality depth for them. They've looked great since the deadline, obviously. Do you think that they've done enough to put themselves over the top potentially in the East? Boy, <laughs> these last two games are any indication they certainly have. You know, I, I think they have the potential and they've shown this, you know, that they really haven't even had time to have a practice together. They have the potential to be a stifling defensive team. That starting lineup they put out there is just huge everywhere. And when Embiid is as motivated as he is right now, and he's he's playing in a totally different gear defensively than I think he has the vast majority of the season. He's always good, but he's been phenomenal to start games since Tobias got there. When he's playing at that level defensively, it's hard to even make an entry pass. They're so big. And offensively, obviously, the floor spacing elements of Tobias is is real. But it's one thing if, if you're a guy who can make 38% of your shots. It's another thing if the defense treats you like you make 48. And because he's shooting 43% and the defense is treating him like that, it has a really profound impact on their ability to drive the lane and has made Ben Simmons infinitely better as well. So I'm excited about their potential for sure. If, if we're looking at the Sixers as, as one of those teams, obviously, Griff, and I, I love what Toronto did at Mark Gasol. You know, I think there's no doubt Nico Miritich takes the Bucks and puts them in a different light. The arms raced in the East, you know, at the very top there. Boston sits out. Do they have the luxury of doing that this time around based on what they've done the past couple of years? Am I missing something as to why they wouldn't do anything? Well, I think from a talent perspective, they do have the luxury for that because they had so many pieces that they weren't getting the full capability from that. I, I think they were sort of growing into it, you know, heading into deadline. I think they were 10 and one in their previous 11 or nine and one in their previous 10. I mean, they had played really, really well. 
Kyrie since everything happened relative to the leadership component of things and the apologizing to LeBron and whatnot. He's actually really led by example in a positive way for them, I think. You see him much better at the point of attack defensively. He's distributing more. I I thought he was really playing to the better of his angels, quite frankly, and, and had been playing well. And the rest of those pieces looked like they were on the come but now we blow a 28-point lead and an 18-point lead, and <laughs> Marcus Morris is talking about your chemistry's bad. So if you're in that locker room, if you're with the team all the time, like Danny certainly would be, you can sense when the chemistry is off. And if you're not all pulling in the same direction when the only thing that's going to mark success is winning a championship, you've got to do something to get everybody pulling in the same direction. So I don't know if there was anything they actually could have did better. You know, most of these trades, with some exceptions, are done on the edges. And that team is so deep. I don't know what they could have done to put themselves in a better position to compete in a sustainable way. I just know that it's pretty clear there's something amiss there. And I wonder when we're going to start to put some of this on Brad. You know, this is the Mm -hmm. first year Brad Stevens has ever entered the year with expectation of winning, that he's supposed to get to the finals. And it takes a long time. It it takes time for it to gel. And I think it's hard for coaches to go through that for the first time. Brad's sort of walking on eggshells for the first time. So this will be a learning experience for him. And you can see the learning curve has been steep. Yeah, I think there's there's also just – there might be just some hard-headed individuals in that locker room. And I use the word individuals because that's the word that Marcus Morris used the other day yep. when describing yep. their situation, that it's, you know, it's a it's a bunch of individuals and not guys playing for each other, basically the exact words that he used. And that's that's some damning words. But it's amazing. This team, if you look at their point differential, it's better than it was last season, right? Like they are third in point differential and, and they – they can look so good at times. And then, you know, obviously they have these moments of flakiness, I guess. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> and I, I don't, I, I, I don't, it's hard to put your finger on it because overall they're a good offensive team. They're a good defensive team. They have the, obviously the offensive talent and they have the, the size and defenders, especially up front to get stops. And we've seen, you know, them, dominate Philadelphia. We've seen them win games against all the other good teams, basically. Tainted spirit, man. It's with, they got what I call tainted spirit. You know what? T- Tuesday night, I think it's in Philly, is going to be fascinating because Philly is now coming off these two big wins with their new lineup. Boston seems to be in this bad place, but over the last 16 months, the Celtics are 9-2 and two against the Sixers. There's, yeah. they're, they're the Sixers' nemesis for sure. So I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated by that game tomorrow night. You know, as, as much as we're looking forward to All-Star and, and a lot of teams are probably looking forward to getting the break, that, that game just, you know, is, is one you circle on the calendar. Well, and if they're spiritually tainted, Seku, you're going to see it. I mean, it, it's one of those things. And this is why I said what I said about Brad, who I think is a phenomenal coach, by the way. But it's easy to get buy-in when it's Marcus Smart and young kids that don't know any better. But once those young kids have success, like Tatum and Brown did last year, with a lot of usage, and you go to the conference finals, you make your bones as a coach when you can get buy-in from stars. That's why coaching stars is hard. You know, everybody thinks that putting together a superstar team is is the formula for success. There have been a lot of superstar teams that didn't win because they didn't 
enjoy the journey together. And Ty Lue gets no credit at all for out coaching several people, including Brad, late in games because the talent got all the credit. Well, the fact that he got them all moving in the same direction was what made it possible. So I think this is really the next step in Brad's evolution is can he generate buy-in from hard-headed, big-name guys? And Jason Tatum thinks of himself as a star now. Jalen Brown wants to be more of a star. And that's why Marcus Morris was yelling at Jalen for not being engaged enough because he was sort of coasting like a star would. And he's too young for that and doesn't know when to pick a spot. So I think they have all of the talent they need. If they can make it sort of coalesce from a leadership perspective, then they're going to be just as good as John talked about, because they do have those moments of greatness. But this is when you make your bones as a coach. Does Kyrie have the, and I, and I know you mentioned that you liked, you know, him being led by his better angels. Does he have the makeup to be the kind of leader they're going to need right now? Do you think he's far along enough in his own development, Griff, to be the guy who can orchestrate that and maybe take some of that pressure off Brad Stevens, or is it somebody else maybe on that roster who's going to have to help row the boat in that direction? You know, I don't think any of these guys, who have it to do it themselves. Like LeBron always mm-hmm. needs really quality veteran guys in the locker room who can sort of recalibrate everybody when the LeBron experience gets heavy. You know, there's so mm-hmm. much noise around the LeBron James-led team that it's incumbent upon Tyson Chandler and now Rondo, and in the past, Mike Miller and James Jones and and Kendrick Perkins and his Kyle Korver, as many high character, Richard Jefferson, Channing Frye, guys you can put in the locker room who can recalibrate everybody and keep people light enough to deal with that much burden and that much expectation. And if he doesn't have the right people in his locker room, he's not capable of it either because nobody does this alone. So the answer is no, Kyrie's not ready for this by himself. And if the mix in your locker room doesn't have enough veteran leaders who can recalibrate the young guys, you have you have a problem on your hands. Yeah. Griff, that, the LeBron subject, of course, leads me to a, a, a larger question about the deadline and what we saw 10 days out where you have Anthony Davis and his representatives go public with a request to be traded from New Orleans. And obviously the Lakers became the centerpiece of this because of LeBron's comments earlier in the season about wanting to play with Anthony Davis and subsequently every other, you know, living and breathing giant that walks the planet and, and could possibly help him win another championship. How do you protect yourself and can you as an organization in this day and age when star players are now dictating, you know, their own path. Contract, how many years you have, be damned. They, you know, if if I want out, I'm going to make it public. I'm going to orchestrate my way out of this situation. Paul George has done it. Kyrie has done it. Kawhi Leonard has done it. I mean, we can go down the list of guys. Jimmy Butler has done it a couple times. How does an organization fortify itself from this when, you know, you get it right, you draft the right type of talent, you're trying to grow and develop them and build a championship team, and then he says, "I, I want out. So it's interesting. I I think in the New Orleans Pelicans situation, it's a little fresher in our minds because it just happened. And I I think every one of those circumstances you talked about sort of speak to the same thing. And it's, listen, if you raise a family that loves each other enough to tell each other what they need to hear, you stay in front of things like this. And your players need to understand that you always get more with honey than you do with vinegar. And their agents need to know the same thing. And the reality is the Pelicans didn't step to the fore the day Anthony Davis signed Rich Paul and Clutch and have the conversation of, listen, you didn't sign Clutch 
because you want to re-sign here and we're all going to sing Kumbaya together. So talk to me about where you live. Talk to me about where your heart is. What does Anthony Davis need to be happy? And at that point, if you put Anthony Davis on notice that you understand what the game is and you partner with Rich Paul in Clutch Sports, you probably move him in the offseason in a way that Kevin O'Connor moved Darren Williams much more under cover of night. You make the deal you want to make and you stay in front of it. But when you live in the world of I'm going to ignore it and hope the situation goes away, you can't deal with stars like that. You can't deal with their agents like that. This required proactivity on everyone's part. So what happened was Rich Paul and Clutch got to the point where they figured, all right, well, it's now or never. We got to get out of here. And that was an adversarial act. And it didn't need to be adversarial. So your role as an organization is never let anybody feel like they need to take an adversarial act. Partner with everybody. Look, you're either with me or you're against me. And if you're not, just tell me and I'll move you on. It's exactly what we did in Cleveland. Had that same conversation with many, many players. Look, there's no shame in saying you can't do this and be joyful in the pursuit. There's no shame in that. Where there is shame is you can't do this and you bring our house down in the process. And just tell me you're not happy and I'll do what I can do about it. else. And you have to make people feel bound to one another that way. And that was not done in this circumstance. And the Lakers failed mightily in their pursuit of this situation because they made the Pelicans feel like they were the adversary who was driving all of this. So of course Dell didn't want to trade them to the Lakers. They were the adversary. It's a great way of looking at it. Well said. Sue, do you, this is for you and Griff. When we focus our attention on some of these big deals, and I started thinking about this last night, guys, when I was going back and watching Kenneth Reed and how effective he's been in his, in his role with the, with the Rockets since he joined them. We always focus our attention on the big trades. You know, we're going to be watching Marcus We're going to be watching Miritich. We're going to be watching, you know, Tobias Harris. We're going to be seeing how they fit on these big teams. Was there a deal that went down for either one of you that was kind of under the radar that you think will end up being more significant, you know, than we're giving it credit for right now based on the magnitude of what it looks like? Hmm. You know, it's interesting. I think from an under-the-radar move standpoint, I look at the Tobias Harris trade from the Clipper perspective. Everybody focuses on how good Philadelphia can be in the here and now because of it. It's sort of like the NBA's equivalent of a bolo punch. You know, the Clippers are like, don't look at what we're doing over here. Don't look at what we're doing over here. Oh, bang, we have room for two max free agents in Los Angeles. They're going to be in that position. And they are running their organization incredibly, incredibly well. They're turning over every stone. They've employed people like Lee Jenkins who are outside the box who are going to help build the story of their free agency and for their free agents. They've got the wealthiest owner in the NBA who loves the game so much. He's going on the road and sitting courtside at games. They're being very, very thoughtful, and they are building in a very sustainable way. So we always get so caught up in, wow, look how good Philadelphia is, that we lose sight of the fact that the steps that are being taken by teams like the Clippers right now are what's going to set the stage for them to be the next juggernaut in the league. And at some point, they're going to be. It may take some time. They may not land everything they're looking to do this offseason, but their practice facility is second to none. They're going to have a new building eventually coming online. And with everything that they're going to get to sing 
the song they're going to get to sing for free agents, eventually it's going to recruit itself because they're building something that stands for something. And people lose sight of that when we focus on the here and now. I actually really like the Thursday deal that they made just as as far as uh, staying competitive and maybe staying in that eighth spot in the West, trading Avery Bradley for Garrett Temple and Jermichael Green. Totally agree. I thought that was a like just as far like if just in a vacuum, that was a great trade. Because, you know, Bradley has this reputation as a great defender. And believe me, I would not want to be guarded by that guy for 94 feet. Like, I would not <laughs> want to have to carry the ball, right. dribble the ball up the floor with that guy in my shirt. But he's a 6'2 two guard, right? And so there's a limit to how much of an effect he can have, positive effect he can have defensively. Garrett Temple is bigger and can sort of have that sort of same role with that team. And then adding Jermichael Green, uh, you know, a four who can shoot, space the floor, keeps that team viable. You know, I think uh, ten, and, and Green will complement, you know, uh, Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell off their bench pretty well for these last 30 games or so. I love that deal a lot. And it didn't hurt them one bit long term. You know, both those guys are expiring contracts, Green being a, a restricted free agent. No, I totally agree. And and now the bolo punch part of that is they also get Zubac, which right. to me is a tremendous deal. At one point, he was one of the five names in the package for, for AD, right? And he's a guy yeah. that has a future and an upside and his cap hold will be so low, they'll be able to keep him on his cap hold while they pursue free agents. They may have gotten their future starting five out of that deal. And nobody talked about it at all. So when I'm talking about the NBA equivalent of the bolo punch, it's exactly that, John. It's they make the deal to be more competitive in the here and now, and people are sort of oblivious to, to what is going on on the other side. And that's really where the magic is. And happens. I've said it before on this podcast. I'll say it again. The do- job that Doc Rivers has done, keeping that team competitive, given the transitional state of the roster, where just a few months, you know, a, a year ago they were – they were Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan. And a little bit before that, they were Chris Paul. And now they've turned into what they are now. And, you know, six months from now, they may be completely different. And they've got all these guys on expiring contracts. The fact that they're winning games and playing together just that never stops to, uh, never ceases to amaze me, you know, how they've done that with such a, a roster in, in complete flux, you know, where guys don't know if they're going to be around long term. No, I totally agree. And Seku, we talked about that last year, that the job Doc did with that team with all those injuries, probably his best coaching job of his career, and he didn't even make the playoffs. That's how challenging that season was and what a great job he did. Yeah. On the flip side of, of the teams that are prepping for July 1st and kind of a quicker turnaround, Griff, what, what's the strategy when you're a struggling team and you're, you're kind of watching from the periphery at the trade deadline? You know it's going to be difficult for you to get involved in the free agent mix at all, but you've got a draft where there are maybe three, four game changers, you know, guys who could really – impact the franchise and help flip things around do you do you save up all the chips and and prepare for kind of a long grinding summer or do you do you hope that there's some way you slip into the free agency mix as maybe that third team or as as an option to get yourself on, on stable footing maybe sooner rather than later and I think about teams like the Hawks and 
not so much Cleveland right now. I realize their their rebuild is maybe at a at a more ground state, you know, ground floor stage. But there are some teams that seem like they're in that limbo. We obviously the Knicks are going to be trying to be a factor, you know, in free agency. But for those teams that aren't going to be big free agent players in terms of the superstars, but maybe want to accelerate their process a little bit, how do you slide into that mix? Yeah, so it's interesting with the Atlanta squad that you you talked about. You know, I, I think they're still pretty early in the in the rebuild process. The most important thing you have to do is recognize how good you are or aren't and be very objective about that and be very comfortable in the space of we're not ready yet to flip the switch and go for it. The biggest mistakes we make as a team is all designed around believing you're better than you are and you push go too soon. You bring in money that's eventually going to choke you off and you end up landlocked in the middle like Charlotte is. They're a team with virtually no flexibility of any kind and nobody that they're recruiting to either, right? Kemba's not under contract, so they don't even have a destination player. And when you're going through this rebuild process, I think the thing that's so significant about Atlanta is John Collins is really good, and Trey Young has been really under the radar good because Luke is so good, you lose sight of how good Trey has been. I think ultimately, though, you've got you've to look at it from the standpoint, and Travis Schlenk and his staff have to look at it from the standpoint of, well, Westbrook and Durant were what OKC built around. Are my guys Westbrook and Durant, are we that good? If you're not that good, then consolidating young asset, a better young asset is sometimes the thing to do, and they're going to have a great draft pick. You just have to stay the course, Seku. I mean, it's it's hard, and it it's one of those things where you look at it and you go, if we're in the lottery more than four years, we'll probably be in there 10. And that's the way it works. I mean, historically, that's how it goes. Sacramento hasn't made the playoffs in, what, 11, 12 years? So you've got to get out by the end of year four. But leading up to that, you've got to be patient enough to accept we're just not ready to hit go yet. I got a fun post-deadline, little fun post-deadline question for the two of you. I asked it, actually asked it on Twitter last night. Uh-huh. What post-deadline roster is the most motley crew of all in that it's just a bunch of guys <laughs> that have been thrown together for uh, a bunch of disparate reasons? I have some candidates. Uh, Cleveland right. is one, for sure, where you have Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson, the, the holdovers. You have... Uh, you know, Osman and, and, and Colin Sexton, Colin the Sexton. sort of the building blocks, I guess. And then you've right. got just a bunch of guys from a bunch of... of the ghost of J.R. Yeah, Smith. And, and, and just a bunch of guys that were acquired because they came along with a, a first or second round pick, basically. Mm. Um, another one is Memphis, because you have mm. Mike Conley, the, uh, the longtime franchise cornerstone. You have Jaron Jackson, the future franchise cornerstone. And then you have the other day they had a rotation where they had ten a ten ten man rotation where the ten guys were on six different rosters in training camp. Um, <laughs> where you had you had Joe Kim Noah from the Knicks uh, in training camp. You had the guys from Toronto, Valanciunas, Miles, Delon Wright. Mm-hmm. You had Bruno who was in Houston's training camp. Avery Bradley with the Clippers. I mean, while I was watching this game and it was like, wait a minute, Avery Bradley is on the floor with CJ Miles and and Delon Wright. Like this is biz- like it was just so bizarre. <laughs> so that's another one. Washington is one where you have Beal, 
and sort of these and Sadoransky and Thomas Bryant, who's become you know a starting center out of nowhere, and then you have uh, the the Chicago guys that came in the Otto Porter trade. Like, is there any? I, I think Memphis is the winner, but I'll, I'm I'm willing to take uh, input <laughs> from you two. So I'm going to defer to Griff since he's, he's had to put together rosters before. I'll, I'll, ref, I'll, I'll let you go first, Griff. I love this question, John. I'm actually going to spend some time with this and, and think about it. And really, I'll, I'll text you an answer that's a little more thoughtful. But I love this question. Um, one of my good friends who's a team president of another team, and I'm going to leave his name out of this, uses a verbiage that I've always really appreciated with rosters that are really convoluted, like Memphis. It's called a collection of Hasarai. And <laughs> Memphis is a collection of Hasarai. There's no question. And the reason is that there's such a disparate connection. Like when you look at their gap between the 18 and 19 year old Jaron Jackson Jr. and the 31 year old Mike Conley, those are really high variance players, and their age gap is so huge. Typically, when you're building a championship nucleus, most every championship nucleus that's ever won titles was four years apart. Their age range is four years apart because they're all contemporaries that way. There's layers in there but you sort of catch a little bit of everything. And in this situation, they're a whole generation apart. It is a fascinating thing when you've got two players that good that are that far apart age-wise, and then the Hasarai in the middle. It's, it's really interesting. I, I think my theory with, with Conley, Griff, is that he'll be easier to move in the summer when teams have more uh, uh, cap flexibility, um, when people know where they're drafting, and you know draft picks are are in place and stuff i think as much as he can be desired around the league it was it was probably difficult to find the right trade in season and it'll be much easier come july 1st i agree and i i think one of the reasons for that john is he hasn't made this adversarial you know he's he's just showing up and playing who yeah. and he's going to keep competing the way he does now there's some risk in that because he's been injury prone but if he can make it through the rest of this year healthy I agree with you that just the preponderance of cap space in the offseason makes it easier to deal him. I don't think they're going to find it very easy, no matter when they do it, to actually get asset value for him. And that's one of the things that I think they're going to really struggle with is just acceptance of, look, this is where you are. You rode that way too long. You invested in the wrong group for too long. And this is why I'm talking about you, you have to be in front of that and acknowledge you're just not good enough and be comfortable accepting that. They rode that way too long, so it's natural they're going to get less for Mike than they could have. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, just look at the package they got for Gasol. I mean, I like, I like all of those players to some degree, but even you know, DeLon Wright is, I didn't realize, he's 26 years old already, and he'll be 27 in a couple of months. Like, he's not... You know, he's not the, the, the prospect or any, you know, anything close to it that you'd expect or that you'd want in a, in a major deal like that. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to pose a, a different type of question to you guys. Um, of all the teams with abundant cap space going into July 1st, and we don't know what's going to happen with the lottery. We don't know who wins a championship this year. We know nothing. Just based on what we know right now, available cap space, the free agent class that's available, which front office would you rather be of the teams flush with cap space 
in, in an opportunity awaiting them this summer. The Knicks, I believe, have the number one spot with the most cap space. But certainly we got, you know, the Lakers, the Clippers, and all these other teams, Brooklyn, all of these different franchises involved. Where would you want to be calling those shots from, Griff, John, if, if you were in that mix? I'll defer to the uh, former. <laughs> That's not fair. Um, so <laughs> I, I think relative to, yeah, I think of this like if I'm, if I'm going to recruit to something, if I'm going to have what I've built sort of recruit itself, I'd rather be where Brooklyn and the Clippers are. They're both in big markets with the right kind of infrastructures. They've been doing all of the right things, maximizing as much of their asset value as possible along the way. They're going to put together remarkable pitches to guys. It will recruit itself. And in the case of each of those teams, neither one of them has like the destination player that unquestionably is going to recruit someone to come but they have the right template. They've built a culture of accountability. And from a coaching perspective, they've got sweat equity. You know, they, they've developed young players. And so I, I look at it thinking, if I were an agent who would speak to me most clearly, it's probably one of those two teams. I agree with that. You know, <laughs> I, no, I, I totally agree. I, and, and as far as the talent that is on the, those rosters, you know, um, mm-hmm. Shake Gilgis Alexander, when you watch him, you love him, but he hasn't had the most consistent year. And then with Brooklyn, right. man, if Karis LeBert didn't get hurt, how good could he look right now? And and it's awesome that he's back, played one game so far, and maybe, you know, he's he can he can develop or, you know, get back um to being the player that he was over these last couple months. But man, that would have been fun if if he had been healthy all all year and to see just how close he is to being, you know, an all-star. And and heck, they have an all-star on their on their roster right now, but D'Angelo Russell is a restricted free agent. And it's going to be fascinating with that team where they prioritize keeping Russell versus trying to 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 fill a position of need, which is either of the two forward positions, because um when you look at it, they have Spencer Dinwiddie, they have Levert, they have Joe Harris under contract that's three guards right there as good as Russell has been you know you have to wonder what's the cost for retaining him and how much value does he add add if he's um with those other three guards on the roster versus you know filling the the big hole that they have um at the forward positions and I think in both of those cases you've also got coaches that have a lot of street cred right now with players. I think people are watching Brooklyn from afar and appreciative of Kenny Atkinson and Doc Mm -hmm. Rivers carries a lot of sway, particularly with veterans that are of the age of the guys that are going to get full max money. And, you know, again, the Clippers have Jerry West who's going to show up in the meeting as well. And he (laughs) he might throw a, he might throw a wrinkle at it or two that you don't think about, but that's not a small thing. And so I, I, I just think they're both really uniquely positioned. And I agree with you on the D'Angelo Russell front. I don't know what that looks like, um, but I like that they have the optionality to decide. Yeah. And and I agree. Like what you said, when we talked about, when we were talking about the Celtics early in this conversation about buy-in, Brooklyn has buy-in from all these guys that are all, a, a lot of them just, fighting to 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 earn their place in this league and there's buy-in from top to bottom where you have D'Angelo Russell who who you know makes a mistake and then sits for most of the fourth quarter 
um, of a close game and then comes back and just has another huge game, you know, the next night out where that guy can, he, he has matured enough where he can, and he, and he, and he has bought in enough where he can, uh, where Kenny Atkinson can sit him down the stretch of a close game and not worry about him, how he's going to respond uh, two nights later. Yeah. And I always wonder how long you can get away with keeping a group like that intact before the infection starts, before somebody has to, you know, I'm serious. You know, you know this Griff before somebody has got to get a new contract or somebody wants to, you know, somebody sees someone else climbing the ladder and wants to be an all-star. And then that disease of me clicks in. I mean, it's just, I, I like watching the development of a team in the stage that Brooklyn's in. I'm going to hate when it starts tearing apart at some point. And it, and it comes, it's just inevitable. That's the way it works. But to see so many young guys grinding away in the lab together, Dinwiddie, you know, Levert, Russell, Joe Harris, who's, and I don't mean young in terms of age, but I'm saying in terms of their establishment in the league, I like watching Jared Allen, who I think has been fantastic. Again, you guys mentioned it, Kenny Atkinson and, and Sean Marks that, you know, the staffs, they've done a, a really nice job because that was a competitive grinding team before they hit this point, before they got to the point where they were actually staring at an opportunity to make the playoffs. It's hard to live through those years. I've covered teams that were brutal, that, you know, tough to watch as they were making that, that journey from where they've been in the lottery year after year to trying to be respectable in the playoff team. I hope the people in Brooklyn, I hope the fans have enjoyed it because you don't get to see the payoff all the time. Sometimes you see the the ugly part and the payoff never shows up. The fan base grows in Brooklyn. Yeah, for sure. And it's cool because, you know, you talked about what they were doing, you know, in terms of the way they've, they've raised everyone there. There's an awful lot to be said for player development. And Atlanta's doing the same thing, by the way, Lloyd, Lloyd Pierce is doing an unbelievable job from a player development standpoint. So, very often, if you properly coach, motivate, and empower the 11th pick in the draft over two or three years, you don't always have to get the number one pick to be successful. And I, I think people lose sight of the fact that when we look at this as being totally binary and it's compete for a championship or tank, well, when you're tanking and not developing players, you're going to be terrible into the future, whether you wanted to be or not. And teams like Brooklyn and the Clippers are doing a really good job. Dallas is another one of these teams, by the way, with Rick Carlisle. They were too good to really bottom out. He was going to get so much out of what he had, they couldn't really bottom out. And I, I think that's a real credit to their organizations, and that's why they're going to be able to recruit free agents, because they're not viewed as sort of a factory for young kids. Interesting. Going to be, Griff, appreciate your time as always. It's going to be an interesting stretch run of this regular season into the playoffs. And then, you know, you get all of what, two days of to breathe before we dive right in on the draft and, and free agency around that corner, summer league and the whole deal. When did, when did the league stop having an actual off season in the calendar? I mean, maybe never for you, Griff, but at least reporters, we used to be able to hide out for like two, three weeks in August. Now we don't even get that anymore. Everybody in my generation in the NBA was gets married, has kids, all of that if they can do it in August. That was always <laughs> that was always the month that was safe, and and now it's less and less safe. But I, I think what you're seeing are the people that run franchises do it really well when they've got an incredibly deep front office 
and you can still take time. You know, if you don't find yeah. a way to take time, then you end up in a situation where you just melt down at the wrong time. <laughs> no doubt about it. Griff, appreciate it, man. We'll catch you on the radio, on NBA TV, and everywhere else, man. As always, thanks for joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast. Thanks, thanks, brothers. Enjoyed it. All right, now. Always good to talk to David Griffin. He's our in-house GM now at NBA Digital. Shoot, we, we, uh, we cheat picking his brain. And uh, great to let everybody else hear him school, school you on a little bit of the inner workings of, of the front office job in the NBA here on the Hangtime Podcast. Week 17 power rankings are out. I know we normally talk power rankings on the show on Mondays. We skipped that this week just to kind of wrap up the trade deadline and, and get some insights from David Griffin about what went on. Top five teams this week, the Bucks, the Warriors, the Thunder, the Raptors, the Sixers, strong group heading into All-Star Weekend. Be sure to read the full rankings at nba.com slash power-rankings. There's another item shoe that, that people need to check out as we head to Charlotte later this week for the 68th All-Star Game. Check out Jordan Week on nba.com. And it's there all week long leading up to the festivities. Special videos, features, and more coordinated by our own Lamont Calloway at nba.com uh, with contributions from across you know the roster. Very Interesting stuff, cool videos. I've watched pretty much most of it already. You're going to enjoy it. If you're a Jordan Fiend shoe, you're really going to enjoy it because we, we travel to Wilmington, North Carolina, and kind of dig into his past. I've been there. Go, go along with the journey all the way up to now. And I know you're a Wilmington expert. Um, you know, the, the Schumanns congregate in that neighborhood in the summer every year. You'll be, you'll be interested, I'm sure, to see, though, some of the stuff that, that's uncovered about Jordan in his – his roots. So check that out. Jordan week on NBA.com all week long. And you know, you get a chance to uh, relive some of his best moments and also learn a few things. Maybe you didn't know. DeAndre Jordan we're talking about. about. <laughs> no, no, not DeAndre. Montel. Just Mont- Michael, uh, Michael Jeffrey, Michael Jeffrey, um, Wilmington's finest. We'll be back on Thursday with another episode previewing a little bit of what's going to happen in Charlotte during all-star weekend. We'll have a special guest with us, you. So make sure you tune in everybody and um, be sure to subscribe to hang time on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for new episodes all season long. Make sure you leave a review. We'll see you right here next time on the hang time podcast. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.